0: the name that is above every name, so that at the name, of Je- at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your, sal- your own salvation with fear and trembling.
1: morning thank you Joe. so this is a very momentous day for me i have become a digital preacher <laughs> we'll see how it goes everything is digital nowadays you know the uh, everything good things and bad things get blamed on uh, on on digital you know it industry is losing jobs because everything is becoming digital and uh, but uh, you know, don't expect the preaching to improve because uh, it's digital because that has more to do with the working of the Spirit of God than, uh, you know, uh, than what kind of tools you use. But uh, but it's interesting. I was just thinking about it. You know, I, I started speaking, uh, you know, started preaching probably almost 25 years ago, maybe a little little more than that, 26 years ago. And, uh, you know, when I started out, I used to write my notes on a piece of paper. I still have some of those those pieces of papers around, and then I moved to typing them up. And then now, you know, I have them on a little machine here. So, um, you know, I've seen that whole evolution coming through. Uh, but um, uh, we are looking through, uh, you know, through uh, the book of Philippians, uh, for those who, who are here maybe visiting, uh, and uh, we have made it into chapter 2. And last week we looked at uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through Nine. I wasn't supposed to speak today, but uh, Ravent, um is not doing well. Uh, do keep him in prayer. As, as you all know, he's had a, a, a big issue, of a battle with uh, this thing called GERD, which really caused a lot of acidity issues, and he's really struggling with that these days. So do keep him uh, in prayer. I don't think he's here today either. So do keep him uh, in your prayers that he might be healed of that. Um, so we've been talking last week, you know, the the theme, the last couple of times I've spoken is all about, um, you know, humility and, uh, you know, the desire of the Lord, desire of Paul for the believers that they would uh, enjoy unity through humility as exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about this, you know, um, thinking about the subject of humility, um, it just seemed to me how unnatural humility is to all of us, you know, as human beings probably one of the things, uh, you know, the, the result of the fall is that we are, we are not by nature humble people. We don't want to be humble. We do not want, you know, to, to put ourselves below anybody else or to lift up somebody else. And this, you know, doesn't, uh, it's not just about adults, but you look at little children as well and how much they want to, you know, they fight over this, you know, my toy is better than your toy or my this is better than your this. And, you know, there's a story told of three little kids who were in a playground, And they were trying to impress each other about their their dads. Uh, You know, no humility there. You know, my dad is better than your dad. So the first one said, you know, my dad scribbles some words on a piece of paper. And, um, you know, and people, and and he calls it a poem. And and he gets paid $100 for that. So the second child, not to be outdone, he said, "Ah, that's nothing. You know, my dad, he scribbles some words on a piece of paper. And uh, he calls it a song, and they pay him a $1,000 for it. And the third one, you know, had to go one better, of course. You know, no humility here on the playground. And he says, ah, you know, that's nothing. You know, my father, he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes six people to collect all the money. <laughs> you know? So, you know, there is no... Um, lack of pride even among little children, right? But the Apostle Paul, in this passage, is trying to make the point that when you look at the, the very nature of God itself, you know, the very nature of God is one of humility. It's one of humility. It's, out, it's one of uh, humbleness. And, uh, you know, as he talks to the Philippian church here, starting in chapter 1, verse 27, onwards uh, he says let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ so after paul talks about his own situation as we've looked at in the past you know he's in jail he's facing uh, an uncertain future and he uh, you know in the in the middle part of chapter one he talks about uh, you know for me to live is christ and to die is gain and then he comes back to the situation of the church here and he says let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Paul recognized that there was an issue in this church, and it was an issue of lack of unity among the, the believers, and he wanted to address this head on. And he ties this lack of uh, unity to the fact that perhaps there wasn't enough humility um, you know, among the believers there. And he says, you know, as he comes into chapter 2, he says, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of the mercy, fulfill my joy. And he gives a set of instructions. He says, by being like-minded, being like-minded, having the same love. What love? The same love that the Father had for you, that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had for you. Uh, Be of One accord, verse uh, 2, last part of verse 2, be of one accord and of one mind. And then he goes on in verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Do everything in lowliness of mind and let each other, uh, and let each esteem others better than himself. Esteem others better than himself and also. Um, you know, look out, let each, verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. And he says, I want you as believers in the church, you know, I want you to be united by, through humility, by humbling yourself, you know, in terms of your relationships with each other, in terms of relationship between, within the church, in terms of relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and fathers and mothers, you know, all of the problems we have in our relationships are really can be, go, can, can be traced back to the lack of humility. The lack of unity comes from the lack of humility. And he wants them to be united so that they may with one mind strive together for the faith of the gospel, chapter 1 and verse 27. And then after presenting this thought, you know, Paul, as we saw last week, he goes into this majestic passage, one of the most majestic in scripture, a poetic passage, a passionate passage. Passage with a complete narrative, and it stands completely on its own. Very often, we in the in the remembrance meeting, people will read from uh, you know chapter two, verse five through verse uh, verse um, uh, eleven, and 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 present that and talk eloquently about the, the the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes, when we do that, we miss the fact that the whole purpose of this passage being here in the context is it's inserted right into the middle of a talk, of instruction, of exhortation about the need for humility in the church. And Paul is simply presenting an example. He says, I have told you what, I ought, what you ought to be. Now let me show you, let me show you that this is the same mind that was in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so he launches into this majestic passage which traces the the, 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 the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, how though he was God, he came down to, to the earth as a man, he went to the cross, he hung on the cross, and then finally God has exalted him. And today we're going to look at that exaltation. But let's just go back to the first part of it because the two sort of, you know, are, are, are intertwined, they go together. And he calls to unit, he calls the believers to unity and he presents Christ as the ultimate example of a genuinely christian mindset there is no greater example of a christian mindset than the lord jesus christ he says let this mind be in you let this mind what mind the mind of having the same love the mind of being in one accord the mind of looking out for the interests of others the mind of not doing anything through selfish ambition and conceit let this mind be in you and by the way it also was in our lord jesus christ And what does it tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? It tells us that he is the ultimate example. And this mind, it points back to these verses that we looked at. It is not a mind that doesn't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. A mind that is lowly. A mind that esteems others better. A mind that looks out for the interests of others. And it says this mind was also in the Lord Jesus Christ. In all of our relationships with each other, we have to have the same attitude, the same mind that the Lord Jesus Christ had. In relationships with each other, in relationships between husband and wife, very often it is the lack of humility that leads to the disunity in the home and in the family and in the husband-wife relationship. And we need to be careful about that. And he presents Christ's humility as it's seen in the incarnation in verses 6 and 7. He says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he demonstrated what equality with God meant. Equality with God did not mean taking advantage of it for for himself. He had this position. He had this power. But, you know, the NIV translated that, that he did not take advantage of his position. That's what... It meant his equality with God was not something that he held on to. He did not hold on to it. He came down as a man. You know, we think about the, the, the various privileges and the positions we have and how much we value those and how much we hold on to them. And we want to, we want to enjoy the trappings of those positions that we have. You know, I think about myself, how much I enjoy you know, I have a certain position in my company and people are willing to do all kinds of things and and very often this thought creeps into my head when something that's before me to do and I said, ah, that's not something that I need to do. I can get somebody else to do that. You know, that's what he's talking about here. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't need to come down. He didn't need to do that. He could have held on to what he had in heaven, but he didn't. He did not consider equality with God something to to be taking advantage of for himself, for his own purposes. For him, equality with God meant being obedient to the will of God the Father. It meant emptying himself by taking the role of a slave, of a bond and becoming a man. And then he goes into the details. We looked at the details of Christ's humility of mind. We saw that he was God, his position, who being in the form of God, the morphe of God, he was God Himself in essence. In in he, he was he he was. There is no doubt about his deity. We see it throughout Scripture. He was one with the Father, and yet he did not cling to that equality. He had all the rights and privileges and the honors of the Godhead. He did not grasp them. He did not clutch them. He did not embrace them. He did not hold them tightly. He did not prize them so much. That he said, I am not going to give any of this up. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's how the NIV translates that verse 6 there. And it says that he made himself of no reputation. The New American Standard puts it better. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. And there's a lot of theologians who have studied the subject of the emptying of Christ. It's known as the doctrine of kenosis. That's the Greek word there for emptied. And there's been a lot of controversy. Does that mean Christ gave up his deity? Does it mean that he remained God when he became man? And when you look at it, you know, sometimes our, our theological friends get too caught up in these, these studies, these scholarly studies. But it tells us here exactly what it meant. It says, he emptied himself, how? By taking the form of a born servant. How did Christ empty himself? How did he empty himself? Did he give up his deity? No. He emptied himself by taking on a lower position. The very act of the king of glory, the creator of the universe, taking on the form of a bond servant, that in and of itself is an emptying. That very act was an emptying of himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant. He still remained God. He did not give up his deity and we know that because you look at all the things he did, you know, the people that he healed and the, the, the powers that he exhibited while he was on the earth. He never ceased to be God. He could have exercised all the power that he had, but he chose to keep it under control in human flesh. And in so doing, he emptied himself. And then he didn't just empty himself. What did he do? He, became, he took the form of a bond servant. A bond servant, not... You know, the Lord Jesus Christ could have come down, um, you know, I mentioned this last week, and he could have come down um, as a prince or a king or a famous person. He could have lived in a palace, and even that would have been humility. You know, for the very fact, for for the king of glory, God himself, the second person of trinity, to come down as a man is already an act of deep, deep, deep humility. And even if he had not done all these things, if he had lived in a palace and come as a king, which he will one day, that would have been good enough to be the greatest example of humility. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He didn't say, let me go down and become a man, but let me retain all of this glory that I have. Let people come and pay homage to me. No, he came as a bond servant. And he came in the likeness of men. He said, I am going to become... Just like these people that I'm going down to save and die for, I'm going to face all of the struggles that they face. I'm going to face the hunger and the thirst and the lack of sleep and the tiredness and the, the maladies and the temptations that they go through so that I can be that perfect high priest, the one who sympathizes with them in glory. He took the appearance Of a sinful man. He identified with the sinners that he came to save. You see the depth of his humility. He didn't just stop at coming down to the earth. As a man. But he came as the least of the least. You know the foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have a nest. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He came as a poor, poor carpenter's son. Who had nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's the level to which. Not only as God coming to man. But as a man. He further humbled Himself. How much trouble we have humbling ourselves. You know, we think we have earned something. We think that we are in a certain position. You know, even as elders of the church, we can have pride in our hearts. We often have pride in our hearts. We get offended when people say certain things because we think that we deserve better. But it's all because of our pride. You know, other people looking at him, they saw him and they denigrated him. People did not respect him as God. They said, Who is this guy? Who is this man? Isn't he the son of the carpenter? Don't we know his brothers and his sisters? Don't they walk among us? Who who does he think he is? And then, you know, he didn't just stop there, but he humbled himself even further. Being found in appearance as a man, you know, he humbled himself. Again, Paul used the word, he humbled himself. You know, several times, he doesn't always use the word, but, you know, being in the form of God, not holding on to equality with God, that's humbling. Making himself of no reputation, emptying himself, that is humbling. Taking the form of a bond servant, that is humbling. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man, that is humbling, but that wasn't enough. He didn't stop there. Being found in appearance as a man, yes, he came as a man, what did he do? he humbled himself even more he humbled himself how by becoming obedient becoming obedient to what becoming obedient to the will of the father the father had given him a task he did not consider the task beneath him he did not consider the quality of the, the 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 gravity of that task to die for the sins of the world as something to to go away from. He prayed in the Garden of Eden in deep suffering. Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine. Obedient and not just any kind of obedience. But he was obedient unto the point of death and not just any death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul is trying to send a message here to the believers. You know, we wonder, we have trouble being humble and then, as I said last week, you know, we show a little bit of humility and we take pride in that humility as well. You know, look at me, I was so humble. Right? He's trying to send this message that there is no limit to how far our humility should go. How much should I humble myself before this brother? How much should I put myself down before this sister who I think might be wronging me, who I think uh, doesn't deserve to receive my humility? We should be willing to go as far as needed following the example of Christ. Christ didn't stop at one level of humility. He went down and down and down and down all the way to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. There is no limit to how low we should go. He did not fight back but he was obedient to the will of the Father. And he endured the cruelest of death being made a curse. Galatians 3.13 says he was made a curse for us so that we might be redeemed from the curse by being hung on a tree for it is written cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. I hope you get a sense from this passage of the depth of the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much he humbled himself. But then you know the Apostle Paul switches gears a little bit. And he says, but let me tell you, there is more to the story. You know, it reminds me of, you know, when I was uh, uh, in the U.S., there used to be this show that started sometime, a radio show, by a man called Paul Harvey. Um, he used to come on the radio almost every day and he would have a, about a 10-minute segment. And the, the, the name of the segment was the rest of the story. And he had a very, uh, you know, booming radio voice and he would present the stories of these, these men uh, and and they're usually men that that at the end of the story you would know who they are like somebody who created something you know Colgate company the paste or something you know something big or Thomas Edison or somebody but he would present the story in such a way that he would start off with their humble beginnings and how they started off with nothing and, and it would go on and then you know then he would come to a point and he would take a, a break and he'll say Um, you know, when we come back, you'll hear. And at that point, he leaves, he leaves you in suspense and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? You know, and he presents a story like something is really going to come. And he says, you know, coming up after the break is the rest of the story. And then the rest of the story takes a completely different turn. And, And then you realize, oh, okay, that was that person. You know, the rest of the story, there's more to it. The story doesn't end there. And Paul is saying here, let me tell you the rest of the story. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ... He came to this world, yes, he humbled himself, yes, he became a man, yes, he emptied himself and uh, you know, took the form of a bond servant, yes, he went. He was obedient unto death, even death of the cross. But let me tell you the rest of the story. There is a glorious conclusion to this story. It didn't end there. And I was wondering why, why did the Apostle Paul point this out? Perhaps he wanted to give us this message. Perhaps he understood how difficult it is for us to be humble. Perhaps he understood that we needed to have something there, you know, to, to something to look forward to, something to hang, uh, you know, our, our, um, our hopes on, to realize that humility is not without its just reward in the due time from God. To show us that this same Jesus who I'm presenting to you as an example of the ultimate of humblest men, the ultimate act of humility, let me tell you, the rest of the story, he was exalted. He says, therefore, verse 9, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Therefore, why? What is the therefore? Therefore. Because he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In Scripture, In the economy of God, we find this very important principle that exaltation always follows humility. Let's read a few verses Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. Matthew 23 and verse 12. Someone finds it before me, please go ahead and read. Matthew 23 and verse 12. Whoever humbles, exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's read Luke chapter 14 and verse 11. Luke 14 and verse 11. Yeah, same principle, right? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18 and verse 14. Yeah, this is talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Uh, this man, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's also turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Yeah, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will Lift you up. And then 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Peter 5 and verse 6. Yeah, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. At the proper time. He may exalt you. There is a time coming. There is a proper time for that exaltation. But first you have to humble yourself. This is part of God's program. Being humble goes against human nature. Being humble is difficult in our fallen self. But God's economy is different. Paul shows that being humble will lead to exaltation. In In case we needed some incentive towards humility, he says Christ humbled himself, but Christ was also exalted by God. And if we humble ourselves in the right time, 1 Peter 5, 6, God will exalt us. Exaltation following humility. This is a promise. It is a promise in the word of God that we need not fear, you know, that we are putting ourselves down. We need not fear that, that we are giving up something. We need not, when we humble ourselves before our brother and sister, when we humble ourselves before our husband or our wife, when we humble ourselves before our fellow man, when we don't hold on to all the privileges that we have, when we don't take advantage of the position and the prestige and, and things we have, whether it's in the world or in the church, we don't need to worry that we're losing out on something. In you know, the world, people think that they're losing out on something. I need to take advantage. I need to enjoy my privileges by, by, by showing my pride, by showing my position. But he says, no, humble yourself and wait for the exaltation of the Lord. And what do we read here? Let's look at the details of Christ's exaltation. It says, therefore God also has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted him. You know, God, there were a few times in the, in the life of Christ when, you know, um, God did show a little bit of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? When he was at his baptism, he said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. He had the sound come on in the transfiguration. You know, when Jesus was transfigured there before Peter, James, and John, he showed his glory. But God the Father showed his ultimate pleasure in his Son's work by exalting him to an elevated position after his resurrection. And what else do we see here? He was exalted by God the Father. And uh, verse 9 again, God has highly exalted him. It wasn't just any simple exaltation, it was a higher, highly exalted. Position. The word, the Greek word used there is hyperipso. And it comes from two words. The first one is hyper and the second one is hypso. Hypso means to exalt or lift up. And hyper, you know, we all know what hyper means, right? It's a highly misused word these days. Uh, right where I live, you know, or those of us who live in that area, we all know and love the Brigade Hypermart, you know, where we get everything. There's not very much hyper about it, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's what the big sign says. Everyone wants to be hyper, right? When you walk into a real hyper store, you're like awed by the, you know, you have to go to the, the US to see a real hyper store. And you go in there and you, you're just awed by the size of the thing and the, the quantity of the stuff and, and everything. And that's what he's saying. You know, it's, it's a hyper position and hyper exaltation. The height of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ is beyond anything that we can possibly imagine or understand, Paul is just trying to use, you know, limited human language, words here to, to try to give us a sense of the level of his exaltation. And then he moves on in verse 10 and 11. And he says, and given him the name which is above every name. Verse, verse uh, uh, 9, yeah, the last part of verse 9. He's given him a name which is above every name. Christ's exaltation involves being given a name. And what is that name? And there's been a lot of debate over it. But as you read this passage, you know, and you come down to verse 11, and it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think, I believe the name that he's talking about is the name Lord. In the Greek, it's the word Kyrios. Kyrios. It signifies his rulership and his authority over everything, over all of creation. He has given him the Lordship. Over all beings. And then he was given this lordship over all creatures. Verse 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, what name? The name Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Every knee, those in heaven, the heavenly beings, the angels, the demons, the principalities and the powers. That he talks about in the book of Ephesians. Those on the earth. All the people on the earth. Those under the earth. Even those who have died and gone. All of them. Will do what? Every knee should bow. They will bow the knee. And we know that bowing the knee is considered a a mark of homage. A mark of respect. You know even today when you have people who are royalty like the queen. People go and they bow down. You know they bow their knee in front of the queen to show Their awe and respect for them. And it says every knee on the earth, under the earth, in the heavens will bow down. And they will acknowledge. There is nothing created that will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord at his coming again. And not only that, it says in verse 11, Every tongue, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those who humiliated Jesus... Even those who humiliate him today, even those today who speak against him, a day is coming when they will bow the knee and they will confess and acknowledge that he is the Lord of everything, the Lord of uh, all creation. What an exaltation that even those who choose to reject Christ, yes, they will face their fate for that rejection, but first they will acknowledge him as Lord. They will bow the knee to him. The greatest of humiliations followed by the greatest of exaltations and you know this passage here these words that Paul is using it comes actually it's a little bit of a quote from Isaiah the prophet of Isaiah a prof- prophecy of Isaiah let's go to Isaiah 45 and read that passage there where he's talking about the God of Israel who is going to redeem Israel and save them Isaiah 45 and verse 22 and 23 Isaiah 45 22 and 23 He says, look to me and be saved. He's saying to Israel, look to me. And the me here is God himself. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And listen to this. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Paul takes the same words here. The me here, instead of saying to me, that is to God here, God the Father. Instead, he substitutes here, he says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? Every knee shall bow. Instead, he says uh, in verse uh, verse 9, uh, sorry, verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So he equates, he substitutes the name of Jesus for the name of God the Father. And we see here everything coming back full circle. All creation... Is to worship God. That's what we find in, in Isaiah 45. All creation is to worship God. In the same word. He who was in the very form of God. He starts out this, this majestic passage. By saying let this mind be, you in, be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the very form of God. Here is one who was God. Who is God. At the beginning. But he humbled himself. Unto death. The death on the cross. But now he has been returned to his rightful position, his equality with God has been restored and every knee is going to bow to him. What a wonderful exaltation. But let's not take that out of the context of the fact that this exaltation happened because of his humility. Therefore, because he was obedient to death, because he became a man, because he became a bond servant, therefore, He has been exalted. And we too will be exalted if we exhibit humility. How much does the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ characterize our life? There should be no depth to how much we are willing to humble ourselves. We need to look at every attitude that we have. Attitudes of selfishness, attitudes of pride, attitudes of superiority, of feelings of superiority over over our brother and sister, in Christ and ask ourselves am I humbling myself there are so many things to have our prides wounded over affronts that people might say something to us that might hurt us but Christ did not cling to his equality with God what positions of power or prestige are we clinging to in our life that is leading to lack of love lack of unity the same love not doing anything through selfish ambition. Christ emptied himself by becoming a man, becoming a servant, a bond servant, a slave. What have we given up for the sake of others so that we might maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of love? Christ became a servant. Have we served anyone? When was the last time we served anybody? He became like the ones he came to save. What have we done to identify with needy sinners. Christ was obedient to the point of sacrificing his life. He humbled himself first by not holding on to what was rightfully his. Then he further humbled himself by becoming a man. Then he further humbled himself by becoming obedient to his death. And he further humbled himself even more by submitting to death on the cross. Is there unity among us? If not, how much of it is because we have not humbled ourselves like the Lord Jesus Christ did? Because we don't have this mind of Christ. Paul was very concerned that this was, uh, this was stunting the effectiveness of the Philippian church. And that's why he spent so much time. And that is why the Holy Spirit gave him these eloquent words to put before them this wonderful example. Are we humbling ourselves in our relationships, in our families, in your relationship with your spouse... With your fellow brother and sister. What is stopping us from exhibiting. Humility in our relationship. Just as God exalted his son. Because of his humility. He has promised to exalt us. You know God. Gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4. And if you go to James chapter 4. I just want to go back there. The passage we read in James 4. It, it talks It connects humility with confession. James 4 verse 7 talks about how we go about getting humility in our lives. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You look at everything he talks about there. Resisting the devil. Drawing near to God. Cleansing your hands. He calls them you sinners. Purifying our hearts. Lamenting and mourning and weeping. Laughter being turned to mourning and joy to gloom. And then he says, humble yourself. You know, humbling begins with confession, recognition and confession and forsaking of our sins. Humil pride in our life comes from sin in our lives. Comes because we are not, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The reason we have pride in our lives and we can be humble is because we are so far away from God. And he says, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? You cannot draw near to God if you don't understand the mind of God. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, you know, he says, Let your minds be be renewed by the transformation of your minds. Or let your minds be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Our minds need to change. You know, we come into this this standing with God. We've been saved. We've been declared uh, righteous before. Uh, the throne of God before the, the justice of God but our minds are still our fleshly minds and that mind needs to be reshaped it needs to be transformed it needs to be transplanted and the only way that can happen is if we are really you know studying the word of God we are truly understanding the mind of God and drawing close to him and when we draw close to God we will recognize our sin and when we recognize our sin we will be driven to tears it says let your laughter be, be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom and we will confess our sins and we will repent of our sins and we will turn from them we will find our hearts melting and becoming humble the exaltation will come in due time but first must come the humility may God enable each of us to examine where we stand in terms of our humility how much have we dominated our lives our thinking dominated by our pride and let us examine ourselves let this mind be in you which was in christ jesus let's pray heavenly father we want to thank you for the wonderful example of our savior the lord jesus christ how he left all his glory to come down to this world for sinners such as us become becoming like one of us emptying himself by taking the form of a bond servant a slave lord we want to thank you for this example and yet lord we want it to not remain as an example that we just hold up and we glory in and are thankful for as we often do but rather it would be an example that would drive change in our own lives lord i want to pray for this church i want to pray for every brother every sister lord we have Plenty of reasons, Father, to look down upon people, to be critical of others, to not love others, to stay away from them. But help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. Whatever is stopping us, Father, the sin in our lives, we want to confess that. Bring us to the point of mourning and confession, Lord. Bring us close to you, Lord, so that our hearts, our very hearts, may be hearts of humility. Yielded to thee, Lord. That we may not look for exaltation on this earth, but may rather look for exaltation at the right time, in the due time, when you determine that we deserve to be exalted. And Lord, what an exaltation that will be. Far more than anything that we can receive on the earth. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. Pray, O Lord, that through this, Lord, that there would be greater unity, that there would be greater love, that the work of the gospel in our lives, in the lives of those around us, Lord, would prosper. Lord, we want to commit this request to you, Lord, asking for your grace upon us in the days to come. We give you all the glory and the praise in the name of our Lord and our Savior,
0: Jesus Christ. Amen.